where I declare that all of us, everyone in this room, are absolutely, positively naked before God the Father. And just like Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, in our sin, we want to hide from God. We want to hide from Him. When Adam and Eve ate the apple and their eyes were opened, God asked the question, Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? That's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? Now, we don't read anywhere in Genesis where anyone told them anything. We don't see that. It's not referenced. But the reality is we recognize that we are laid bare before God because of our sinful state of mind. It's a state of mind. You think you're naked because it's your state of mind. Well, what causes us to sin? It's our state of mind. It's our desire to put ourselves first and put God behind us. The very moment that we should be telling Satan to get behind us, we are walking in stride with him. That's what we do. When we should be saying, Satan, get behind me, we're walking step by step with him. Now, David had to see this as well. It's telling that God uses David as an example of his own failure. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. Let's look at this and see how highly esteemed he was before God, according to Paul. Turn to Acts chapter 13, and we'll take a look at verse 22. Acts 13 Verse 22. Acts 13, 22. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Please follow along where you are. And when he had removed him, namely Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now the key here is for you to recognize that God's declaration of David's character, his faith and his level of obedience, was spectacular, according to what God's will was. He was obedient. He was following the Lord. So he is highly esteemed in this way. And that's what all of us are striving for, amen? We all want to be like that man after God's own heart, or that woman after God's own heart. That's what we all strive for. That's what we all want to see in our lives. But even in David's case, 
we see that our efforts to avoid sin can be woefully inconsistent. And that's because of pride. David had a problem with pride. Guess what? We all have a problem with pride. Amen. We, remember, David is highly esteemed, but God knows exactly who David is too. Human being, just like us. Fleshly, just like us. Let's look more closely at this. Now, usually when we're trying to pick on David, the go-to example to do so is when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And we know about that. We've read about that before. We've seen that, 2 Samuel 11. But here's an example that it is, in my opinion, even more revealing as to what God was trying to accomplish with David and Israel. With David and Israel. The entire nation. It's a stark lesson as to who God truly is. And sometimes we need a reminder of this. In 2 Samuel 24, let's go ahead and turn to verses 1 through 4. 2 Samuel 24, which reads almost as a footnote to David's life. Because if you go to 2 Samuel 23, you see the last words of David being spoken. So here's chapter 24, after that, as a footnote and as a reminder for all of us as well, too. God in Scripture wanted us to see this example in David's life. Just kind of plucked out of nowhere and put in place. David was incited to take a census of the armies of Israel and Judah. So if you'd like to follow along with me, I'm going to be reading from verses 1 through 4 in the NIV version. Again, and notice this, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Well, that's already a bad start. Amen? And he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, Go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, and enroll the fighting men, so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of the Lord king, the king see it. But why does my lord the king want to do such a thing? See, even Joab is trying to tell him, Don't go there. Why are you going there? We've got a problem here. But what does it say after that? The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders, so they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. Now, the parallel passage to this incident is in 1 Chronicles 21.1. Go to 1 Chronicles 21.1. 1 Chronicles 21.1. Now, for those of you who are reading in our Bible, daily Bible reading, and you read through Chronicles and say, boy, this is a boring section of Scripture. And some of you may have said that. But if you really read all the way through Chronicles, it's, there's a reason why things are being chronicled, documented, and showing you things specifically. Here's an example of this. 1 Chronicles 21.1, NIV version. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. 
Now, on the one passage, it said the Lord was angry and incited David. This passage says Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. We need to see that this moment is apparent that God, in his sovereignty, permitted Satan to act on purpose. He's giving Satan permission to incite David. Why? The Lord was angry with Israel. But now Satan is the one who gets the name blame for this particular incident. The key word in this passage is incite. Incite. What does it mean? I'm a big believer in looking at definitions of words because we read scripture sometimes and we get past stuff and we don't necessarily know what we're reading. Well, I'm going to put on our Bible scholars in this room, that's on you guys to make sure you teach this. What are you reading? The word incite is a transitive verb. It means to provoke, to move to action, to stir up, to spur on, to instigate. That's what incite means. And all of us can relate to that. Provoke, move to action, stir up, spur on, instigate. That person's picking on me in the schoolyard. They're trying to instigate something. I heard that word instigate used so much when I was younger, it's not even funny. Because people like to make trouble. Satan loves to make trouble. Now, how does Satan incite or provoke someone to sin? What does he do? Well, let's ask this question another way. Does Satan really need to do anything? Does he need to do anything? Is it more about what we are doing or thinking at about that very time when we are being incited? Remember, you can be provoked. You can be picked on. You can be talked about. But does that mean you have to do anything about it? Nope. You don't have to. Well, here's a short answer. When it comes to sin, David was a willing participant. When it comes to sin, we are willing participants. Amen? I was going to see how many amens I got off of that. Usually you won't get too many. But if we're being truthful, we're willing participants. Remember what God's word says about temptation. Go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. If you believe in what Jesus Christ is saying through scripture, you'll know that he is extremely consistent 
in his approach and communication with us. He does not contradict himself. And when he says that there is a way out, there is a way out. 1 Corinthians 10.13, English Standard Version, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. No temptation! God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Does everybody believe that? Amen? But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The way of escape. Our issue when it comes to sin is that we avoid taking the way of escape. We don't take the way of escape. The way of escape is there, but we won't take it. It's like refusing to go through an open door to safety. Building's on fire. Door's wide open. Just walk right through it. It's when we succumb to our fleshly desires where we don't take that escape. Yes, David was a man after God's own heart, and yet it was his pride and self-minded behavior that put Israel under a great sin and even further kindled God's anger. Satan is God's tool to incite you and me. His tool. And you know what can be really bad about this? Sometimes your sin might be public before everyone. And someone's got to call you on it because God sends someone to do it. God had to make an example of David here. And it resulted in 70,000 men perishing from the effects of God's plague on Israel. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that previously noted in 2 Samuel 24 that the Lord was angry with Israel... So his judgment against the 70,000 who perished from the plague was not just about coming down on innocent people, which is the first thing we want to run to and say. But what about the 70,000? Well, it wasn't everybody. But it was 70,000. Why was the Lord angry with Israel? Think about that. We serve a God of justice. We need to always understand we serve a God of justice. If those people, those 70,000 who perished, were acting up and doing stuff contrary to what God would have them to do, then that punishment was justified. God hates sin. Why? Sin is lawless behavior. Go to 1 John 3, 4. 1 John 3, 4. We always have to come back to the fact that we have a God that we serve who is a God of justice. He is a righteous God. He is not arbitrary. He is not sometimey like we are. He is not this one way one day and another way another day. 
we sometimes try to give God human attributes. That's not who he is. 1 John 3, 4. From the ESV. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. When we look at stuff on TV, in the news, about kids 15 and 16 years old pulling a gun on somebody, robbing them and stealing their car. And yeah, the one girl that where it happened on the west side of Cleveland winds up over on the east side in East Cleveland and one of the kids driving that car hits a girl and kills her. Well, what started all of it? Lawless behavior. You can't blame someone else for someone else's lawlessness. Lawless behavior. You have to deal with it. You have to address it. We should be down on our knees in thankfulness and gratefulness to God for what he has done to pay the eternal penalty of sin for us. He paid the price for all of this. In spite of our lawlessness, he paid the penalty for all of our sin. Amen? We know that none of us is righteous. Not one. That's in Romans 3.10. You read it. You see it. You understand what that is. We are not righteous. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Free gift. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that free gift. Amen? John 3.17. This is becoming one of my favorite verses. We always hear about John 3.16 all the time. But John 3.17 is really applicable today in today's world as well too. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In some ways, that verse equals or rivals John 3.16. We need to see that we serve a God who does not desire to condemn us. In spite of who we are. Yes, the Lord took 70,000 in that incident with David in the census, but he didn't take everybody. So even in that, if you read the whole passage through, there was mercy. There was still mercy. Mercy was being exhibited by God himself. It was David's, David's census incident where God had to show David that he was not as reverent as he should have been. Maybe David thought he was all that. He was king. He was blessed. And yet, God's saying, 
Yeah. You could do better. David greatly feared God because he was laid bare in his sin. He had to learn a lesson of the importance of sincere obedience and reverence for God. If you read the end of that passage in, in, the, uh, in the Chronicles, he was deathly afraid of God because of what he had been doing and now what he had seen and what he had experienced. He needed to see that. He had a new appreciation for who God was at that moment. Remember, he was the king. Now, what about us? How about us? What are we to learn from this example? God has affirmed us repeatedly by esteeming us as his treasured creation. And yet we need to be reminded that we are still commanded to live for Jesus Christ with a consistent Christ-like example. This is what we are being reminded of by looking at David's incident and just looking at our lives in general. We still have to live with a Christ-like example. Now what do I mean by that? Remember, sin is what separates you from God. What sins in your life are keeping you from God right now? What little hidden stuff have you got in your life that is keeping you from a full, devoted relationship to Jesus Christ? You need to ask yourself that question. Because if you're truly going to grow in the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not just going to talk about it, you're going to do it. You're not just going to show yourself before everybody, here I am. You have to take care of business. Take care of your own business. Are you finding those ways of escape? We're often ill-prepared for battle, and we are exposed by Satan's provocation. We have none other than the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to help us, give us strength, wisdom, discernment, and endurance over Satan and the enemy. And sometimes the enemy is us. Amen? Sometimes we have to have victory over our own flesh. Because sometimes the enemy is us. Remember, Satan can incite you but you are a willing participant in sin. I'll go do it! Let's summarize this with our call to stand firm, stay the course, and remain faithful. Stand firm, stay the course, and remain faithful. Go to Ephesians 6. Let's look at verses 10 through 20. We're going to go through the whole thing. And we're going to go through it quickly. But I want you to see exactly what we need to do to stand firm. Stay the course and remain faithful. You might recognize this passage. 
It is the armor of God passage. Because rather than relying upon our own flesh, we have to do something to protect ourselves from this thing called temptation. And sometimes it means reinforcing ourselves with the armor of God. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. This is the English Standard Version. Finally, be strong in the Lord and put in the strength of his might. Be put in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Look at what you've got coming against you. Why in the world would you not put on the full armor of God? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. See where that comes from? Stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the breast, uh, pardon me, as shoes for your feet, having on, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Supplication is another form of prayer, but it's what we call specific prayer. Specific prayer. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that, my, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This should be us. All the way. And don't leave anything out. All the way. Now notice that this passage does not refer to any weaponry that you are carrying. You're not carrying any weaponry. The only weapon that you possess comes from God himself. And that's his word. It's enabled in the very presence of the Holy Spirit. Your response against Satan, the tool, is God's word. When you are being incited by Satan, get away from him. You ever hear that before? James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. Now notice the word resist. Resist. This is how we are to overcome this tool and learn from our mistakes. You know, we are being taught continually. Even with these challenges of temptations, this is a teaching that's going on. You're being taught something. 
you're being taught something about yourself. If you ain't learning nothing else, it means you need to rely upon God. That's what you're being taught. Relying upon Him. He wants us to learn to trust Him and not in our own understanding. Where have we heard that before? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways and He will guide you on the right paths. If you're reading God's Word enough, this stuff comes to mind when you're being tempted. I've got to find a way out. I've got to find that open door. I've got to find that place to get away. You're being taught. You're being taught about your reliance upon God. Remember, Jesus was incited by Satan in Matthew chapter 4. Remember that? He was indeed incited by Satan in Matthew chapter 4. He's giving you an example there on what to do. But we need to know the proper contextual use of the word of God was effectively stopping Satan. It was used the right way. It's not just the utterance of Jesus' name. You know, that's something we have to keep in mind too. Just saying Jesus' name is not enough. That's important, but it's not enough. Why do I say that? It was a consistent use of God's word and standing firm that repelled Satan. If you go to Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 16, remember these guys who thought they were all that talking about Jesus, and they said, well, we know who Jesus is. They were dealing with a bunch of demons. We know who Jesus is. Who are you? And they ran out that house naked. Lost all their clothes. You know they went in there with clothes. Came out that house naked. It's not enough just to say Jesus. It's about consistent use of the word of God. And relying upon the word of God. Yeah, the demons know who Satan, or demons know who Jesus is. They absolutely know who he is. Our challenge is to get to know more about who Jesus is, too. Satan has power and ability, but only as God allows. Amen and amen and amen. He is not all-powerful. We have examples of that in the, in the book of Job, first and second chapter. Job 1.12, Job 2.6. Those are two examples where God is directing Satan, you can only do this much. You can only do this much. He's a tool of God. He's a tool of God. Now, understand something though about Satan. Satan is only effective by your permission. By your permission. You cannot expect Satan to do anything to you unless you permit it. And remember this. Even in that, God is trying to get your attention. Satan is only affected by your permission and God is always trying to get your attention. 
That's certainly what God was doing with David with that census thing. Same thing applies to us. God is always trying to get your attention. So how do you overcome this tool? With the armor of God, that's how. He wants you to rely more and more on the Holy Spirit. Go to Romans 8, verses 26 through 28. Romans 8, verses 26 through 28. If we are humble enough, we will know from the first line of this passage where we are. Scripture says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Well, some of us struggle with humility. And you wonder why you're always scuffling. If you're not humble, you're going to always scuffle. But look at this first line in Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we are struggling with temptation, the Spirit is there to help us. You have help. You ever had help and never took it? You ever have somebody help you with something you don't want to take it? I actually know people who do that. They'll have someone there to help them, but they don't take it. Let's continue in the passage. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And sometimes we don't know what to pray for. Amen? We don't know. We don't really have any idea. Sometimes it's like, oh, that's about all you get out of us. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And thank goodness for that. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we need to understand that passage about working for good is very important for us to see. Good, not so much as in happy, joyful, wonderful. Good sometimes meaning getting day by day with all kinds of scuffling going on. But it's still good because we're not just thinking about God from a temporal perspective, but from an eternal perspective. Eternal perspective. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your soul is taken care of. That's where Mary is now. That's all that matters. Amen? After all is said and done, that's what matters. And God is to be glorified for that. He's the one who set that up. And he sets it up for all of us. What a revealing passage that is. God wants you to see that the Holy Spirit is there for us when we are most vulnerable. Most vulnerable. Now us guys in the room, we're all guys, amen? All the guys in the room, amen? All the men in the room, all, amen? Amen. Guess what, ladies? Men get vulnerable too. Men get vulnerable too. We just don't talk about it. 
Amen? Amen. He is our helper that Jesus sent to us. He, in good times and bad, wants to teach us during our times of weakness to do what? Rely more upon him. That's what a challenge is for us guys. Guys have to, you know, this, this whole thing about being macho and being this and that and bravado and all that, that's all well and good. But guess what? Before the Lord Jesus Christ, don't mean a daggone thing. Amen? A real man follows Jesus Christ. A real man looks to him for leadership. A real man seeks after him in prayer, in all things that he does. Always remember that. There's no shame in following Jesus Christ. No shame whatsoever. You have more power and ability than you often realize. Because Satan doesn't want you to think you have any kind of power. Satan doesn't want you to think you have anything to look, look forward to. God wants you to tap into his power. He wants you to rely more and more upon him in everything that you do and in everything that you're all about. Living in a totality for Jesus Christ in everything that you do. Your work, your play, being at home, cooking, cleaning, whatever you're doing, building stuff. He wants to be a part of all of that. All of it. Not just some of it. All of it. Satan has power and ability, but only as God allows. He is a tool of God. God uses him and not the other way around. Amen? Not the other way around. Who is God trying to fix? In his own mysterious and wondrous way, he's trying to fix you and me. And praise the Lord. He's paying attention to us. He's trying to fix you and me. Amen. Do we need fixing? Oh, amen. Come on now. Amen. We all need fixing. Yeah, yeah, you do too. Yeah, yeah. We all need fixing. Yeah, whatever. You know you need fixing. I need fixing. Shoot. <laughs> Just tell it like it is. He's trying to fix you and me. It's because he loves us more than we can ever imagine. 1 John 3, 1 mentions that he, we are to behold the kind of love that God has given us and that he refers to us as what? His children. We're in the family. He's our heavenly father. We're his children. That's a love relationship. Go to Romans 5, 8. We'll be closing out now. Romans 5, 8.
sometimes you have to show someone you love them. You know how you tell somebody you love them? Well, sometimes that love has to be demonstrated by action. It has to be supported by a pattern of behavior that supports your gestures to say that you love someone. Well, what did God do for us? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, amen, Christ died for us. There's no greater love than to give your life for a friend. That's the relationship that Jesus Christ has with us. No greater love. Giving his life friends. We're his children. He also refers to us as his friends. It's an eternal love that leads to eternal life in him for those who believe in him. Yeah, Satan is God's tool to get our attention. Are you paying attention? Are you recognizing now what you need to do to deal with that? Amen? Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the lessons that you continually teach us. We thank you for even in our times of moments of failure, you are still teaching us. You're teaching us of the importance of relying upon you, of your very presence. Lord, we thank you that you continue to do those very things. You show your love for us. And Lord, we don't want to be incited any more than anyone else does, but we know how to respond if we are. We know exactly what we can do. Lord, expand our faith. Expand our belief that you indeed overcome all things. Help us with those areas of our life that we have not been able to correct. Lord, we want to lay bare before you and give those matters of sin to you right now. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your very presence. We thank you for your teaching. And we thank you for your eternal love for us. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Teach us. Encourage us. Help us to always remember to seek after you and not after the flesh. We thank you for good results. We thank you for how you heal us in the midst of all of it too. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.